Welcome to Galveston Unscripted. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Galveston Unscripted. Did you know that Galveston had the first paid fire department in the state of Texas? And shortly after the paid fire department was founded, Galveston had one of its largest fires in 1885. This fire destroyed over 40 city blocks, and we now know it as the Great Fire of 1885. Before fire prevention techniques and technologies were as widespread and commonplace as they are today, a single candlestick, cigar, match, or unattended cooktop could rapidly transform a building, a block, a neighborhood, or even an entire city to a smoldering pile of rubble, leaving families, businesses, and the community to pick up the pieces and start over. Fires have destroyed cities all over the world. In the United States, some of the most notable are the New York Fire of 1776, Chicago Fire of 1871, and the San Francisco Fire of 1906, after the Great Earthquake there. When people think of Galveston disasters, we almost automatically think of hurricanes, especially the Great Storm of 1900. But this city on a sandbar has dealt with an unbelievable amount of disaster in the form of fire, beginning with the infamous John Lafitte, as he burned his pirate kingdom as he sailed away from Galveston in 1821. I sit down with James Anderson to discuss his book, Galveston Burning, A History of the Fire Department and Major Conflagrations. We discuss the history of the fire department, major infernos on the island, general Galveston history, and other major events that he covers in detail in his new book, Galveston Burning. Let's jump right into this conversation with James Anderson, author of Galveston Burning. Galveston Burning, is this your first book? Yes, it actually is. Well, congratulations on your first book. Well, thank is, you. I appreciate it. It's amazing. I mean, just for me on the podcast, be like, oh, I'm I'm interviewing an author. You know, it's, it's right. like a really a really cool feeling for for me, and um, it's got to be a cool feeling to put something out like. Well, this. I'll tell you, to be even called an author is a dream come true. Yeah. I've been talking about being a author of a book since I was probably around about six or seven years old. Never knew what the book was going to be, but I always wanted one. So. I'm excited. I actually finally got it out there. Yeah. So. yeah, that's great, man. That's great. It truly is a comprehensive history of about 200 years worth of fires on this island. Yeah, there is a lot in there. Even when I sent it to the publisher, they were amazed at how thick because they were like, I don't think we've printed a book this thick in a while. You know, <laughs> So they were shocked, even with the amount of pictures I sent. Because mm-hmm. uh, normally they don't have that many. I actually have over 140 images in the book. And they're fascinating <clears throat> images. And I think that a lot of people, when you see Galveston today, if you're if, if you have no idea about this book or about what Galveston's past was, right, is, and you show up on Galveston Island and you see it today, you're like, oh, you know, there's some beautiful buildings on Strand all the way up to Church Street. They're absolutely gorgeous. But then some of the photos in your book, you see where there was a building or an entire block burnt down. And then the backdrop is, is a huge city. And you would almost wouldn't recognize it as Galveston today because, you know, in the mid 1800s to 1900 or so, um, it was, a glorious, thriving city. Well, and what I always try to tell people too, especially when I'm giving my tours, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the industries that fuel Galveston are gone. You know, we do not have the factories that were once here. Mm -hmm. And so with that being gone, Galveston doesn't have as much of the industry side. We're more of a UTMB port or tourism city. Yep. You know, pretty much that's it. And, but, you know, way back we had the largest and the first, you know, flour mill, Mm. the Reimer Schaffer flour Mm -hmm. mill, which was Texas star, Mm -hmm. you know, it was the largest of the country at the time. 
Um, we also had, you know, several cotton manufacturers that were here. We don't have the cotton, you know, gins and stuff that we originally had. You know, that's all pretty much missing. You know, we still have the sulfur, but we had bigger sulfur plants, various things like that. So yeah. a lot of that's all gone now. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of, uh, you know, the a lot of stuff was coming out of the Piney Woods. Yes. You know, and being shipped out of Galveston because mm-hmm. we were the port. So a lot of stuff is coming our way. And so, you know, we had that industry, but a lot of that industry is not needed anymore. So it just kind of falls by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't realize by the 50s, we pretty much had lost most of that. From like 1950 to the 1990s or so, it was in a, a huge state of decline, right? Oh, yeah. This this detrimental state. And it's really started to come back with like tourism as Houston was expanding. Um, with your book, showing how resilient the city is, not only, not just the 1900 storm, but with as many fires and destructive events that there have been with this city, the people of Galveston always keep coming back and just keep fighting yeah. and rebuilding. The one thing I learned about Galveston is there is definitely a resilient spirit here. No matter what would happen, they would always say, we can build back, you know, and they did come back with a lot of various, you know, either bigger and better, or it was a new type of, you know, spirit or a new type of building or business, whatever you kind of learn that. Mm -hmm. And so as you kind of study Galveston, you start realizing that Galveston kept growing and changing. You know, it was meeting the environment. It was meeting what was happening, you know. And, of course, you had the entrepreneurs here that kind of saw, you know, what was needed. And they just kind of filled a niche. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like here at Galveston, you'll learn that there are so many niches of books. I mean, we have a ton of authors on this island. Mm -hmm. Some of them are not even very well known. But they have put some amazing books out there. Mm -hmm. And every one of these authors fill a niche of Galveston. And even with every book that's been published, there are still parts of Galveston history that have not been touched. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I love about Galveston yeah. is every time you turn around, there's something new to learn. Well, I mean, so. maybe that's uh, one, of, one of your uh, irons in the fire, right? That could be. It you could never be. Know. Yeah, we're not going to reveal it just yet. But <laughs> Don't worry. I don't even know it yet. <laughs> okay. So there's nothing you could reveal yet. <laughs> so, um. We touched on it a little bit, but what gave you the idea? What was the initial push to write this book? Um, it's kind of funny because remember I told you I did ghost tours. Mm-hmm. Um, my boss was Dash Beardsley, you know, kind of the uh, first ghost man of Galveston. Type yes. Thing. And um, we used to talk about, you know, what our tour entailed. And as a kid, I was always interested in fires and stuff. And so I remember we would talk about the fires of Galveston. That's how we referred to it. Mm-hmm. We never went into detail. Well, I kept asking him, which fires are we referring to? Because I wanted to know. You know, I didn't know about Rosenberg and, you know, on the newspaper archive mm-hmm. and all this stuff where I could find out a lot. So we were talking about a fire. And I already knew about the Great Fire of 1885. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, well, is it the Great Fire of 1885? And he goes, no, that's a different fire. And I said, well, okay, well, is it the 42-block fire? And he's like, no, that's a different fire. So as I'm doing my research, I find out the Great Fire of 1885 and the 42 Block Fire were the same exact fire. And, you know, we kept kind of hemming and hawing over it for a while, but I finally realized we were actually both right about what fire it was. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where the initial start for the book began, because I wanted to find out who was right. Yes. And, of course, as you're reading that one, you find out there's a lot more. 
And I will tell you the history of the fire department was actually added. Um, I, I wrote it, but the publisher said, Hey, why don't you include that in the book as well? Yeah. It's already had the notes there, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking, okay, you're telling me don't make it too thick. So I'm trying to figure out what not. And he says, no, 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 go ahead and include that. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. So of course got the fire department in there and Great. Uh, I sent it in. The book officially was over 44,000 words. It's like a dictionary. Uh, yeah. I kind of had to cut a few things just to make it fit the time frame, but there was quite a bit in there. It's amazing uh, that you've even cut anything out of it because it is comprehensive. So where did you gather all the information for this? Because you even have, you have fire, the, the block, you have insurance information, you have everything included on these things. Well, I'm going to tell you the best thing to do is go to Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a very comprehensive collection mm-hmm. of stuff, but they're not the only place. Mm-hmm. Um, the bulk of the book actually probably came from newspaper archive. Okay. You know, just literally, you know, searching for fires. Now I'm going to tell you, be careful just putting the word fire in Galveston. You will come up over a million hits. Yeah. And of course, our warehouse fire that just happened last Sunday. So, you know, it's like every time you turn around, there's a fire. But see, um, you'll notice as you look at the book, the 1860s are not overly covered. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason for that, just studying the 1860s, if you put the word fire in there, it talked about every type of fire from, you know, the city was fired upon or Charleston is on fire or, you know, you name it. It, it, There was not just comprehensive. So Mm -hmm. trying to narrow it down was not easy. I kind of started creating a list of terms to look for, Mm -hmm. which would help to narrow it down. So there's about 30 words I figured, okay, if I put every one of these words in, I might find Galveston. Wow. And it was still waiting through that to find just Galveston. So how long did this take you? Um, from official thinking about it to publishing five years. Oh, wow. But actually focusing and writing two years. Okay. Gotcha. Quite a journey. Yeah. It's been a fun journey. Um, that's why I said the books that are in the process have been in the process Mm -hmm. about the same time this one started. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ideas out there just trying to figure out which one I'm further along to start writing the next one. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I learned, I learned a couple things, but two notable things I learned is that there were actual fire watch stations or towers yes. all along the along the island. And um, the amount of volunteer fire departments that started up and then just kind of fizzled out over time. Yeah. Washington was the original. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of got started. And the thing with the volunteer fire department was there was actually segments of the fire department, you know, because you had the hook and ladder company, you had the hose men, you know, you had the, um, actually the engine men. So they weren't all, you know, like one department was going to cover the fire. Mm-hmm. You had several groups because, you know, the axemen are going to go in, they're going to start pulling away the embers and stuff. They're going to try to figure out where the fire is at. You know, the hosemen are trying to, you know, wet the fire down, you know, so you had all these men that were trying to, you know, take care of the fire. So you would have three and four different divisions come in to take care of one fire, Mm -hmm. but also it's still volunteer. Yes. So, you know, a lot of times we didn't have enough people Uh, and sometimes they would literally just grab you off the street and say, you know, I need you to aim a hose at that or go get a bucket or something, you know? Yes. Uh, And a lot of times these fires were just somebody walked by and all of a sudden they saw smoke, you know, it's like, and so the fire tower, literally somebody would run to the fire tower and ring the bell to tell them, Hey, there's a fire. You know, we didn't have an actual system well into the 1880s. Mm -hmm. So from the 1840s up until the 1880s, 
about a 40 year span, we're losing buildings left and right yes. because there's no way to really call the fire department in because the fire department didn't officially start till 1843. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so from 1839 to 1843, the city of Galveston, really things are burning down and people are just grabbing buckets of water and trying to toss it on it, you know, yes. to try to yes. put it out, you know? Yeah. And I even saw that they would have, of course it was before the island was elevated yeah. and the grade raising. So you would have, uh, after a rainstorm, you'd have just puddles of water. Oh, and yeah. sometimes they would get the bucket brigade and just go get brackish water and throw it on this fire. And what I thought was funny is when I was studying about it, um, I found that there was actually requirements that every house have a bucket in each room. So that way, you know, if a fire started, there's enough buckets, mm-hmm. you know, and the buckets we think today, these were actually leather buckets that they had. Oh, wow. So they could go grab the water, come and toss it. And they would just grab men off the street. They would uh, have a, a gentleman who would actually be, you know, the deputy. Yes. And he would just start rounding people up and say, okay, I need you to help me, you know, put this fire out. They were you're not the firemen. You yeah. Know? You yeah. just, you're on the street walking by. Now you're going to put out a fire, uh-huh. you know? So Galveston Fire Department was the first paid fire department in the state of Texas? Yes. Officially in 1885, they would get their start actually in September. Okay. It'd be like late October, early September when they would officially start. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't get their first real fire as a paid department until November when the Great Fire hits. Well, what a fire to yeah. start off your entire career or the first fire department. Pretty much a baptism by fire. <laughs> You know, they really didn't get much choice on that one. <laughs> no, not at all. And I, I'm even, I'm surprised um, they mentioned that in the fire department log. It's like, well, what's the point of even logging the largest, one of the largest fires in Galveston history in the log? It's like, ugh, yeah. And I think they were just amazed because, you know, literally that fire, the way it got started, really, it was on 16th and Strand where it began. Yes. It was a uh, ironworks and you know, it was cold that night. It it was already cold. We had a blue norther blow in, which is what normally kind of happens, and it got colder. So, I mean, people are racing to get home, to be warm by their fires and stuff, and they bedded down all the fires for the night, you know, in the ironworks, but they don't put them out because it takes so much to try to get those restarted the mm-hmm. next day. Mm-hmm. So they just bed them down. Mm-hmm. While that wind is whipping through those chimneys, through the windows, through the doors, it whips that wind, you know, that fire up Mm -hmm. to where it catches the building on fire. And it just so happens that the building catches fire and nobody really notices that the building's on fire because it's on the interior. Mm -hmm. And it's eventually somebody starts to notice the smoke and the fire coming out the back window. Yeah. Well, by the time they notice that, it's out of control. It catches the building next door on fire. And, of course, the wind doesn't stay one constant direction. It changes direction, which now causes the wind to blow the fire across the street. And there's a wood uh, yard right across the street. So it's like we've just added kindling to it. And surprisingly, it didn't burn. It actually caught the buildings next to it on fire. So they got the uh, wood put out because they literally wetted it down. They didn't have any problem with it, but they couldn't stop it. it. By the time they would get close to it, it would already spread it several other directions. So the fire department was having a hard time really getting to it. That's kind of how it got out of control. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because there's a there's a photograph. I'm not sure if you include it in this book, but I've, I've seen it online. From the top of the customs house and post office, the photograph is taken facing east. And there's nothing 
It's, oh, yeah. it's almost there are multiple images of the great fire <clears throat> uh rosenberg has a lot of them and i used probably like three or four from them um and when uh just before my book came out you know of course uh galveston monthly did a deal on the fire department and they <clears throat> used several images and i don't think we actually covered the same images i think we all have different images mm-hmm. well i'm going to provide it below in the description of this episode i'll provide links to a lot of these photos of things we're talking about today because yeah, there's some amazing photos out there um, pictures i would have never considered somebody would have even taken mm. but there's some amazing photos out there yeah you know and just even see even after the fire the houses that are built back mm. you know because almost immediately after the fire people were just clearing and let's start rebuilding mm. you know but what's sad is with this fire we did lose a lot of the great claytons yes so I, I understand you're a fan of Nicholas Clayton. Oh, yeah. He is probably one of the quintessential favorites. Mm-hmm. Not saying I don't like them all. I love architecture completely. Okay. But Clayton is probably the favorite mm-hmm. of all of them. Yeah, because you'll notice a lot of Clayton is in this yes, book. Yes, <laughs> and it's, I mean, the cover of your book as well. Yeah. Um, I did not get to choose that picture. Really? But I was so excited when they put it on the front cover because I was like, they know me so well. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about the building that's on the cover? Of your yeah, book? that is actually Harmony Hall. So Harmony Hall, officially the corner where the Scottish Rite Temple now stands today. That's where that stood. But prior to that, that was where Ryland Chapel once stood. And Ryland Chapel was kind of the early form of the, uh, I believe it was a Lutheran church. And um, they decided they needed more space, so they sold the property. And they sold it at that time to a Jewish group of singing men who were kind of starting their own little singing club. And they wanted a fancy hall to sing in. So they hired Nicholas Clayton to build Harmony Hall. So Harmony Hall comes about 1881, completed around about 1883. And, uh, well, I think it's completed 1881. They keep it for about two, three years. And it's because it, financially they realize they can't afford the building. So they sell it off to the Galveston Business College. And the Galveston Business College has it well into 1905, but of course they get it during the Great Storm. And it gets completely damaged. And it's just so expensive to repair that they finally decide it's time to sell this thing off. So they sell it off to the Scott, Scottish Rite Temple. And the Scottish Rite Temple moves in, they're loving the building having a great time with it. It gets into February, 1928. They've actually had an organ that they needed repaired. Mm -hmm. It was electronic organ. So they get everything repaired. It's up on the third floor. What they don't realize is there's a short in the wire. So we've got the men of the Scottish Rite Temple down on the first floor playing billiards, reading, you know, kind of just having a wonderful, quiet evening when this fire starts up on the third floor. Well, it's a passerby actually sees the fire, alerts the fire department to the fire. And when the firemen rush into the building, that's when the men of the Scottish Rite Temple realize our building's on fire. So they go from a nice, quiet evening to salvage what we can. And they literally start pulling all these priceless artifacts out and dumping them in the intersection so that way they can get things out. And they actually got quite a bit out. It's amazing what actually came out of the building. Um, but unfortunately, of course, the fire does damage the building so much that, you know, it has to be demolished. Mm -hmm. Now, a piece that did survive is actually the marble staircase, which was repurposed in the new Scottish Rite Temple. I say new, you know, Mm -hmm. new as of 1928. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's only uh, 90 something years old. Exactly. (laughs) But, you know, they did reposition the staircase from what it was. So that part of the original does still survive. Wow. 
So it's one of my favorite buildings, but of course, you know, it's hard to pick a favorite because I think the Beach Hotel is another favorite. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. You know, I hate well, that it burned down, but it would have been destroyed anyway a couple years later. Right. I mean, and just to imagine something like that, as grand as that was on a beach, you know, yes. uh, that is our basically Hotel Del Coronado, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. if it had it survived, you know, we would have probably been excited to show that place off. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, yeah. but, you know, of course, my absolute favorite, most people don't even realize, it's actually the Electric Pavilion. Oh, that's right. That's that right. was one of my absolute favorite ones. It's that stick style. I don't know what it is, but I've always loved that style of architecture. Yeah, there are a few in the East End Historic District that have a very similar um, look to the stick style. Um, oh, yeah. Of quite, of quite a few homes over there. But. There's something about it. It just looks so, you know, beachy and perfect. And and it looks so flimsy, but mm-hmm. you don't realize how structurally sound it mm-hmm. is. You know, it just looks like, oh, a nice wind would blow that thing over, you know. But it was just because it's made of wood, What uh, when I was reading it, I found out there was steel girders on the inside that really, mm-hmm. you know, kind of structurally made it sound. Mm-hmm. But then he had this veneer of this wood design around it that is what made it so light and airy. So, you know, you kind of learn a lot when mm-hmm. you start reading about these things. Yeah. And Clayton was one of those that he was very particular about the details. Mm-hmm. You know, if it wasn't perfect, it didn't go on the building. Because, um, you know, he was actually the general contractor for the Sealy Mansion. And while he, you know, as materials are coming in, he's inspecting the materials. And if something wasn't right, he would send it back. Yeah, get like, out of here. Nope, sorry, can't use this. We yeah. need new stuff. Yeah, that's you probably know. why it took so long to build the Bishop's Palace. <laughs> yeah, that might be the case. Uh, and thankfully that did survive. But, you know, what's interesting is Clayton actually talked Gresham into building it on Broadway. Because Gresham oh. wanted to build it on the beach. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And Clayton's like, no, 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 you need to build it on Broadway. You know, of course, nobody knows this hurricane's going to come. Of course. But, you know, thankfully, Clayton won out, and we still have that beautiful building. Oh, my gosh. So. <laughs> well, yeah, coming up soon, I'm going to have an entire episode on Nicholas Clayton. So, yeah. And, his life. and I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people out there that know a lot about Clayton. I'm just like tip of the iceberg. Yeah, There's people well, please direct me in bit. their direction. We'll definitely yeah, get we'll them get in the there for out. you. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to plug besides the book? Anything else? Maybe your tours? Um, yeah, I work for a company called Lantern Tours, which we also have a kind of side branch called Spooky Tours. So mm-hmm. you kind of got both of them. Yeah. Um, and we do 1900 storm tours. We do various history tours. Um, we, kind of got our own little ghost tour going. Um, and we also customize tours. Mm-hmm. You know, we're one of those gr- where we don't do large groups. We like to do the smaller, more intimate tours. Intimate, yep. But we also, besides tours, we do events. Okay. So we'll have like a dinner where we may do like the 1900 storm. Oh. Or we may have a beach side, you know, we're sitting there talking about the, you know, stories from the storm. So, you know, we kind of have various things that we do. And we're uh, there's things in the works, of course. You know, so that's coming up as well. So yeah. definitely be on the lookout. There is some new stuff coming. Love it. So. I love it. Well, that's great. Well, James, thank you so much for joining me today. Not a problem. You're very welcome. Um, I really appreciate it. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Galveston Unscripted. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with James Anderson. Please check out the link in the episode description to purchase his book, Galveston Burning. If you learned anything or enjoyed this episode, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you consume it on. And if you haven't already, please follow us on social media. Just check out the social link below in the episode description. It is people like you who keep this podcast going and growing. Thank you for listening to Galveston Unscripted, and we'll see you next time.
For historic resources or more information, check out the episode description. <laughs>